Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 114 of In the Huddle Sports Radio on Can You Dig Sports. My name is Zach Kroll, along with my guy, The Real Will, and we are here today to talk about the most polarizing, the most fascinating, and the most interesting topics in all of sports. And we are going to have plenty of things to talk about today. We're going to be reacting uh, to Game 1 of the NBA Finals as the Suns get the Game 1 double last night. We're going to be going around the NBA. We're going to be talking some NFL as well. And we have an absolutely loaded show for you guys on this Wednesday. And once again, I'm not going to be doing it alone as I introduce to you guys my co-host, The Real Will. Yo, what's going on? Can you dig sports radio? In the huddle, we are back here a day after the NBA Finals. I got a lot to say about that, but before I do, I just want to shout out everybody that was listening to the channel. I know there's some issues going on, some technical difficulties, but y'all know me, man. Y'all know when I'm mad, that's when the best little come out. So it's going to be a great show today. I can promise you that because I do not like to be mad. So you know what? I'm going to pass the rock to our analysts on the show who've been rocking with us. We love to have this guy on. We love his perspectives. He's like a another added shooter to the team that we have right now here on In The Huddle. Isaiah, what's going on, my brother? How's it going, y'all? It was uh, an exciting yesterday. I'm just glad to be part of the show so we could talk about it. Absolutely, Isaiah. Thank you so much for joining us once again. As Will said, it's always great to have another mind uh, and another opinion on this show. As last night, we get into it. The Phoenix Suns win game one of the NBA Finals in the Valley by a final score of 118 to 105. And, I, and Isaiah, as our guest on today's show, I'm going to start, uh, I'm going to throw this over to you and you can start us off. What were your main takeaways and reactions from game one of this one? Um, well, to start off, Devin Booker had an amazing first quarter, uh, 12 points to start off the, the first quarter alone. And um, it was interesting to see how the Bucks kind of played their uh, their defense around the Suns. They played a lot of man-to-man defense, like they. And that was interesting to see. Um, a lot of teams um, throughout the season haven't really played the Suns man-to-man defense. And when you do see, you see how they react. Um, the ISO players that Chris Paul and Devin Booker is, they have great handles. They can get open. They know how to make great shots. And um, I got some exclusive information because yesterday I was working the Bucks. Um, announcing uh, broadcast and they had some interesting comments about Chris Paul and Devin Booker one of them being at the end of the fourth they said they had no answer for Chris Paul or Devin Booker as they combined for 59 points and I like to unpackage that a little bit Chris Paul had an amazing second and third quarter second quarter 11 points four for six third quarter 16 points six for seven he was dominating the floor in the second quarter then right before the half then right after the half he kind of kicked the gear another notch and just kind of took over the game. In this third quarter, the Bucks announcer, quote, I'm sorry, I got a lot of quotes here from the Bucks. Uh, my apologies, there's a lot of it here. But uh, he goes, he's the conductor of the orchestra. Right now, he's the maestro of that orchestra and is single-handedly knocking the Bucks out of this game. And then towards the fourth quarter, he goes to say, finished fifth in MVP voting at the age of 36. And as good as the Suns were at the end of last season, going 8-0 in the bubble, it was Chris Paul who has made the biggest difference on this team this season. This information that we know the average viewer knows, but the fact that the opposing team is saying it in the game one of the finals, it's kind of troublesome to see how they're going to react in game two. But besides um, Devin Booker and Chris Paul, DeAndre Hayden had one of the most historic games that we've seen. He is um, one of four players to score 20 um, above 15 rebounds while shooting 80% from the field. The other three players, Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Wilt Chamberlain. 
this is an interesting stat as we didn't know about this until the end of the game because Devin Booker and Chris Cole were putting on a show. Um, it's going to be interesting how the series is going to unfold. But uh, the biggest takeaway I would say from this game, 26 free throws to 16. The Bucks had four free throws in the first half. So that is going to be interesting to see how this um, final series plays out if these free throw disparities continue to go. Well, yeah. that was some interesting stats right there. But um, yeah, I'm going to pick up where Isaiah left off. It was the big three that showed up for the Suns and the big three of the Bucks didn't. And that was the key to yesterday's game. Like he partially alluded to, DeAndre Eden had 22 points, 19 boards. You know, he was probably the most important player in that team, in that game, in that whole entire playoff run, I would argue. And you also have CP3 doing what CP3 do, which is, you know, start slow. He always starts slow to me. For some reason, it's like he got to get his rhythm. And then in the second half, I mean, this guy's all show. I'm 32 points to finish off the game, nine assists. Um, Devin Booker, 27 points, was very aggressive in that first quarter. You know, some of the moves that he made at the basket, some of the circus shots, getting guys open. There was one sequence where he got Cameron Payne a look. No, he got Cam Johnson a look for a wide open three. The next play, found Cameron Payne for a three. So it's just how they play together, that big three. They each know their worth. They know what they bring. They don't try to do each other's job. They know CP3 is a leader. They know Devin Booker is the best player on the team. And they know that DeAndre Aiden is the most important player on the team. And everybody do their roles, and that's why they up 1-0 right now. When you go to the Bucks side of things real quickly here, you know, I want to start off with Lopez. He had a good game offensively, 17 points. But defensively, he couldn't match the speed of DeAndre Aiden, you know, and that was the key to the victory. The Suns, when they play with speed, they are hard to stop. And the Bucks didn't have that energy. So those are my big takeaways. I got some more takeaways, but I want to pass the rock to Zach to get him in here. Yeah, absolutely. So great points all around. I will say, I wasn't shocked that the Suns won game one last night, but I will say, I was surprised how they won. Let's talk about the Bucks for a second. This is now the third series in a row where the Bucks have lost game one, and usually when they lose the game one, it's like, oh, they shoot ice cold from three, and you ask yourself, why is this team just chucking up so many threes? And you usually come away with a clear reason why they lost. But my issue in this game was there's no real clear way to unfold it because the Bucks shot 16 of 33 from three. And I thought Giannis, considering all the circumstances, he did a really good job making the simple plays. And I thought on the offensive side of the ball, the Bucks actually played pretty well, especially when Giannis was on the floor. There was a big difference between uh, when he was on the floor and off the floor. So I thought the Bucks got what they needed from Giannis. They shot well from three. But not only did they lose... They got smacked. And then on defense, Mike Budenholzer, you really can't come up with anything better than switching Brooke Lopez onto Chris Paul and Devin Booker. And you see play after play, them just putting this guy in the blender. And I love Brooke Lopez. I think he played great in the Hawks series. But I got to be honest, I don't know if you could play this guy in this series. If I'm Mike Budenholzer, I think your best move could be to go with a smaller lineup, play Giannis at the five. I thought last night they were going to try that with Bobby Portis. It didn't work that well, and Mike Boonholzer switched from it right away. But you have to make the other team feel uncomfortable and keep Brooke Lopez, if he's on the floor, as close to the basket as possible. Also, as you guys mentioned, the Bucks fouled way too much, and they couldn't make a free throw. 
I mean, the Sun shot 25 of 26 from the line. The Bucks shoot 9 from 15 from the line. You continue to hear those fans just getting in Giannis's head. And, you know, you could say it's old, it's annoying all you want. But if it works, it works. The Bucks missed six free throws last night. The Suns ended up winning by 13 and made uh, 14 more free throws uh, than Milwaukee. So that's a, a key factor. Another guy. Drew Holiday. I mean, this guy just needs to play better. He's supposed to be your top defender. And going into this series, I actually thought that the Bucks, chance, the Bucks' best chance to win would be if you at least put him on Chris Paul and limit him a little bit. Unlike the Clippers, I thought one of the main reasons why the Suns came away so successful in that Clippers series was because Chris Paul was literally just blowing by Patrick Beverly and Terrence Mann every single time. They had no answer for that. I thought the Clippers were going to be a little bit more uh, aggressive in trying to contain him. Same thing with the Bucks. That obviously wasn't the case last night. And Drew Holiday, I mean, this is the same guy that let Trey Young uh, drop 48 on him in Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Finals. The Bucks need to be better. And look, Devin Booker shot 1 of 8 from 3. Jay Crowder, 0 of 3 from oh. 3. And still, the Suns find a way to win. Uh, Chris Paul in crunch time, absolutely phenomenal. He wants it. And I got to be honest, I think that if you're a Bucks fan, you have to be coming out of this game really, really concerned because on the offensive side of the ball, I think they played as well as they could, and they still didn't come close to a win. I mean, this game wasn't even close. If Jay Crowder wasn't jacking up medicine balls, this game would have been over by halftime. I mean, this guy couldn't buy or sell a shot. I mean, so had he made those shots that he had open looks, the game would have been over by halftime. This game was not close. I looked at this game and I said, you know what? The Bucks stand no chance um, with the Suns right now. You know, I, and I gave the Bucks two games, but they're going to have to do better. They're going to have to... They might have to roll. I like your point, Zach. They might have to roll with Giannis at the five because they did towards the end of that game and they found some success. As far as the Suns and CP3 in particular, I want to touch on CP3 real quickly here. CP3 is showing you, and this whole Suns run is showing you the value in leadership. You know, everybody like the stats, the, you know, the triple doubles and all that cute stuff. But how many times we see guys get triple, triple doubles and it does not translate to championships? You know, there's one guy that comes to mind. I don't want to call this brother out on the show, but I know y'all know who I'm talking about. It doesn't translate to wins. Leadership is important. That's why LeBron James won championships because he's, you know, I, I question sometimes his leadership all in all, but he is a good leader as far as what he brings on the floor. Um, CP3 as well. And what CP3 did by going to the Suns, is very reminiscent of what Tom Brady did going to the Buccaneers. You have a team that's talented in the Buccaneers that Tom Brady said, you know what? I'm that missing piece. They're talented. They couldn't make the playoffs. What I'm going to do is I'm going to bring my leadership, my experience, and my championship rings over there and get this team over the hump. So by the time we got to the playoffs, they was already confident. They had no playoff experience, and they confident. When they got to the Super Bowl, they was confident. When CP3 went to the Suns, yes, he didn't have the rings, but he had the experience. The experience. He had the leadership, the IQ. And all he did was say, you know what? Devin Booker is coming to his own. They went undefeated in the bubble. I'm going to be that missing piece. And I looked at that Suns team in the finals, and I'm like, damn, a young team like that, and they look confident like that and ready to play? That's the value that lies in leadership. 
I was gonna say there's a lot to unpackage throughout this, like throughout everything we just said on this one finals game. But there's a lot to unpackage. It, it's, it goes to what you said about Chris Paul. It goes to what um Zach said about Drew Holiday and uh, what you said again, little about Brooke Lopez. And it all comes down to a lot of different like little things, right? Like I'll say a free throws, like the little things. Giannis attempted more free throws than the rest of his team, you know, like and that's. Movie. The yeah, exactly. The little things. Ex- exactly. <laughs> it's, it's the little things. <laughs> the little things. Exactly. Little things. You know, and it's like um, Giannis shooting all those free throws and the rest of the team only getting four is you know is not a pretty sight to look at. You know, and um, they have to, and it's it's interesting as the referees assess both these teams. They're both aggressive, uh, aggressive defend defending teams. So the foul calls become different now because now you both they're both teams are very aggressive and they both. I play more physical, so referees are allowing them to play physical defense. And now you're seeing less free throws on one side, but more on the other because one team knows how to kind of um, unpackage uh, like a different, like you know, the hezies and the pump fakes to get the foul calls that they need. So it's a lot of like little things, and um, it goes back to Drew Holiday, man. It's just so disappointing. I saw a post today. I think it was Brandon Marshall said it that um. Um, Drew Holiday is the Chris Bosch of the Bucks, and I was just like, I was thinking about it, and as I'm trying to think about it, I'm just like, yeah, he kind of is because he needs to do the little thing. He needs to do a lot of different things in order for to help this team. Not only his defense, he needs to score the basketball. He's there to score. You're getting paid this money to score, and if you're not scoring, it's it's you know it's making the team worse, and you're not helping them actually win this game. And it's it's so. I'm troubling, especially since Jay Crowder didn't even score a, a field goal. Like, you have to take advantage of Jay Crowder not scoring because when he scores, this Suns team is on another level. Next game, game two, I already see the Bucks causing a lot of different defensive um, adjustments toward Devin Booker and Chris Paul. So, Jay Crowder, Bridges, Payne, like those guys, gonna you're going to see a difference in when they score the ball. And if the Bucks are not ready for them to score, it's going to be a problem. Yeah, I will say when you look um, Milwaukee, I think one point that not a lot of people have mentioned is that I think after game one, for the first time in this playoffs, it hit me like, okay, this is a spot where the Bucks would love to have uh, Dante DiVincenzo. If you remember, he got hurt early, early, uh, or late, I should say, in the regular season, early in the playoffs in practice. And I think that last night was one of the first times in the playoffs where you watched the Bucks game and it was like, okay, they could blatantly use this guy. I love P.J. Tucker and everything that he's done so far for the Bucks in these series. But I feel like the Bucks were just playing a little bit too big and too clogged of a lineup when you're playing Chris Middleton at the two and you're playing Tucker at the three and you're going against all these quick guards that Phoenix has. DiVincenzo is another body that could defend. He can make shots. And he's a really important piece to the Bucks. And when you combine him along with Drew Holiday struggles, I mean, S. Will, I've been very critical of this guy. And that's not to mention that, like, I liked the trade for the Bucks at the time. There were a lot of people asking, is it worth giving up two first-round picks for this guy? And I thought it was the right trade to make. But at the same time, I don't think anyone's going to deny that he's been a little disappointing. Yeah, he has. And you just alluded to it, Zach. You gave up two first-round picks for this guy. I thought at the time that they gave up too much for Drew Holiday, even though I knew he was probably, you know, top three most underrated players in the league. But at the same time, I thought they gave up too much. And now when you look at his performance, especially offensively, defensively, he's always going to give you his best. But offensively, you need to do more. You was there to be that scoring punch to go alongside Giannis. You wasn't just there to defend. Yeah, we like that you come with that as the whole package, but we wanted you to be that offensive guy that can help, especially when Giannis, you know, becomes a liability in the late quarter. 
you were supposed to be that guy taking over the game along with Joyce Middleton. So he's not living up to that. And he said before when Giannis was out, I think that woke me up. That was a good thing. Well, Giannis is back. What you going to do is the question. So I'm done with the Bucks here. I want to touch on this last point when it comes to the Suns. You know, I would love – I think the Suns is in a must-win situation here. I think they need to win the championship. We have a segment on this show coming up called a make-or-break year for, you know, an NFL team this upcoming season. But if we think about basketball and staying on the topic where we're at right now, I think it's a make-or-break year for the Suns because we don't know if they're going to keep CP3. You know, so all the moves that they made, they better win a championship. And they're three games away from it. I think they need to win because when you look at DeAndre Ayton, he's probably going to require the max because he's playing himself to the max, literally. You got Devin Booker, who's already making $33.8 million a year throughout the 2023 and 2024 season. So you got CP3 with a $44.2 million player option, which he might decline to get a three, four-year deal. So, you know, if you're the Suns, first of all, as a fan, I want to see them win it back. I hate to see, I would hate to see, championship or not, this be the last year of that big three because there's so much potential here. I love to see the fact that we don't have guys cheating the game with that super team garbage. And yeah, I said it, cheating the game, literally stacking up their rings. This is a team that... You know, guys just play hard every night and they play well together. I want to see them run it back. I'll be sad. And it'll be a shame for basketball if championship or not, this is the last we see of that big three. But they need a championship this year. I don't know if uh I don't know if it's a make and break like you stated, but um I do I, I do agree that they should bring back Chris Paul. Um if he wants to come back. I always I already stated multiple times like, to friends also on the show. That if Chris Paul wins a ring, you know, it could be the swan song because he has accomplished everything else in the NBA, unless he's trying to shoot for an MVP at 37 years old. But it's like he accomplished almost everything in the NBA can can offer a player. And if he wins a ring, that would kind of be like, all right, I, I've done everything. I've been an Olympic gold champion. I've been an all-star. Uh, you know, now I'm until finals, you know, and I and I um brought teams, all these different organizations to winning seasons, you know. So I know I'm I'm a, I'm a I'm a person that says like Chris Paul he stated before um the last the post game interview in the uh, last series um uh, right as the he ended the Clippers season you know my body's breaking down it's been 16 long seasons and you kind of hear it like all right is he preparing for retiring or is he preparing for an off season where he's gonna recoup his body we don't know right now he's in the finals so hopefully you know he doesn't his body's gonna break down even more but if he does decide to come back I do think you know running it back with the Suns is you know a, a should be the main you know the yeah. main thing the main priority yeah yeah boys anyone else on this one or are we good to go sons of six <laughs> <laughs> sons of six yep <laughs> well, we'll see if the bucks could win a game because i feel like there are a lot of people that uh after game one are declaring this series over and i think if you're a bucks fan the frustrating thing is is that Giannis played really well and i know chris middleton all of his points came towards the end of the game he's gonna have his better games but if you look at the box score he did drop 29 points he didn't play terrible and once again it just has to be super frustrating that not only did you lose that game but it was not ever particularly close you you're listening to in the huddle sports radio on can you dig sports the request line one eight three three Radio BX. Get down with my girlfriend. Got it right. 
we'll be moving on to the next segment of today's show. It is time to continue with our quarterback list, and it is yes, crazy sir. because this is actually going to be the last and final time Woo! that we uh, and I uh, will be doing our quarterback list. Obviously, uh, it's been a lot of work coming the last couple episodes, debating and breaking down all these quarterbacks. Once again, if you have not seen our list, they are on uh, the Can You Dig Sports Instagram page. They will be up uh, later today uh, for our final list. And as we give our top five, Will and I, Isaiah, after, will uh, feel free to give any feedback of his. So, uh, Will, I believe you started off last week, so uh, I'll yes. start off. Uh, my top five here, and I'll start it off right on cue. The guy that we just mentioned at number five for me is going to be uh, Russell Wilson. And look, man, I think that <laughs> the people that listen to this show are going to hear my takes on Russell Wilson over the last year and just call me a hater. And I just wanted to say, like, he is one of the five best quarterbacks in the league. I don't think there's anyone that's going to deny that. The problem is he just has really taken a lot of responsibility. He's really, ta or hasn't taken a lot of responsibility, I should say. And I think that's kind of been a turnoff to a lot of fans. And I'm no matter how good you are, I don't have a problem criticizing you uh, if you deserve it. And I think that's kind of where uh, Russell Wilson has fallen uh, over the last uh, year or two. But with that being said, I think he has a real opportunity to make it up for, him, for himself here. I think last year, the first half of the season, Russell Wilson was really good, but there were other times where he single-handedly blew his team's games. The game against Arizona, the game against Buffalo comes to mind, and that kind of continued uh, in the second half of, that, of the season and into the playoffs. I think he's a guy uh, that has a lot to prove. I'm going to have Russell Wilson as my number five quarterback in the NFL. Uh, my number four quarterback, man, I mean, <laughs> there's nothing else to really say about Tom Brady and uh, everything that he's done in Tampa Bay over the last year. And I understand that from a physical on-the-field perspective, a lot of people are going to look at Tom Brady and say, you're going to have him over Russell Wilson and Josh Allen and Dak Prescott, guys that could just make phenomenal throws and have insane arm strength. And I will say, even though Tom Brady isn't the same player on the field as he once was, there is no one that is going to deny the mental uh, impact and the impact that he can make uh, when he walks into your locker room. When this guy comes into your locker room, the expectation automatically becomes winning. And I think that was a perfect uh, place to go for him, a team like Tampa Bay that just needed that insurgence. They needed that message to say, look, I believe in you guys. You guys are talented enough to win games. I'm just going to be the last guy uh, to put the icing on the cake. And I will say it is so hard to change a culture of a football locker room in such a short amount of time. I think Tom Brady showing us what he could do last year, going to Tampa Bay right away and immediately not only bringing that team to the playoffs for the first time since 2007, but getting that team a ring and a Super Bowl championship. There are no other words to be said. Tom Brady, my number four quarterback in the NFL for this upcoming season. My number three quarterback, uh, Will mentioned him last week. He's a guy that's going to be very hard to rank. But I have Deshaun Watson as my number three quarterback in the NFL. And who knows if he's going to play this season. He probably isn't, considering all the allegations that have been going on. But from what I've seen on the field from this guy, he can make all the throws. He has all the talent. And I think last year, he was kind of lost in the shuffle a bit, considering how good of a season he had, but just how bad of a team the Texans were. They started off 0-4. They were uh, fired their coach. They were uh, an afterthought very early on in the season. And I think that drew... A lot of eyes away from Deshaun Watson. Who knows the next time he plays football? Who knows the next team he's going to be on? As Will said, probably 
uh, one of the hardest guys in this countdown to rank. I will have Deshaun Watson at number three. Uh, and number two, look, I'm going to have to go with the defending MVP uh, of the NFL, Aaron Rodgers. And for me, seeing what this guy did last year, it really just reminded me how good and how special of a player he could be when all things are rolling. And to be honest, I didn't know if they had it in them. I've been on this show multiple times, and I've said I don't 100% blame the Packers for drafting Jordan Love just because two years ago, even though Aaron Rodgers got the Packers to the NFC Championship game, he didn't necessarily look like himself. He wasn't really the reason why the Packers were winning those games. He had somewhat to do with it, but didn't really make that large of an impact. But last year, it was the opposite. This guy just showed us how many dimes he can make on the, on the run, uh, wherever. He just has one of the best arms in football, one of the most talented quarterbacks I've ever seen. I will have Aaron Rodgers as my number two quarterback. And my number one on this list is Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs. I just think this guy is the next big thing. And I think this guy is just absurdly, absurdly talented. He has the leadership qualities. He knows what it takes to win. He can make every throw. He's mobile. He's athletic. I feel like his football IQ is getting better and better as uh, Andy Reid uh, and him have more time to work together. And I understand Patrick Mahomes probably has one of the best uh, selections of weapons in the league with Hill and Kelsey, but we've seen plenty of other quarterbacks have those kind of weapons and not be able to do anything close to what this guy does. Patrick Mahomes, in my opinion, is the best quarterback in the NFL right now. So to recap my top five, I will have Patrick Mahomes at number one, Aaron Rodgers at number two, Deshaun Watson at number three, Tom Brady at number four, and Russell Wilson at number five. Will, take it away. Well, when it comes to my list, I'm going to rank this list and my top five in particular based on where I'm going to see these five quarterbacks ranked at the end of next year, at the end of the season, in MVP voting. So right now, this top five is MVP, who I think is going to be in top five categories once the season concludes. So I just want to get that straight because I know a lot of people is looking at my list like, yo, Lil, like, I, you got that guy too low. It's basically where I think they're going to be next year. So, I'm just getting that straight. These are not my five best quarterbacks in the NFL in a combined two or three-year time. It's who I think is going to be in the MVP category when it's all said and done. So, nevertheless, I did enough chatting with the intro. We might as well get down to nitty-gritty. At number five, I'm going to go with Lamar Action Jackson. After some struggles last year in the offseason, you know, or should I say during the season, there was a stretch from week 13 to week 17 where I looked at Lamar Jackson. I said, that's the MVP of the league. I'm looking at that game against the Browns where he came from taking a dump and he came and he took over that game. I'm talking about the game against the Cowboys, I believe week 13 on a Thursday night when he single-handedly took over the game rushing the football. I'm talking about that game against Cincinnati when they bombarded Cincinnati. That's the Lamar Jackson I'm talking about, you know. And he's one of those guys that he is more important to his team than I would say a lot of quarterbacks' importance to their team because the offense runs through him. So without Lamar Jackson, the Ravens, no, 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 can't do brother. No bleno. It's not, it's not going to happen. So, you know, the Ravens are interesting because they had some issues passing the football last year, and it showed mightily in the playoffs. But I like what they did with the moves that they made. With Sean Bateman, I'm not going to lie. I watched this guy highlights. This guy has the chance to be the next Jordan, or should I say Justin Jefferson, of last year. 
This is a guy that could be on the outside. This is a guy that you could throw in the slot. He can control possessions in the middle, intermediate areas in the field, or can attack you vertically. This is a guy that's going to be a big key. It's probably going to be the Ravens' best receiver next year. You also got Sammy Watkins. You also, you know, he's a guy. You know, he's a guy that still is talented. You throw him in that offense along with Marquise Brown. The passer game should be better. Should be anything should be better than last year when they were dead ranked last, last year. I love the moves that they made. The play calling got to get a little bit better. But if it does, this is a one first team anyway. So you got J.K. Dobbins. You got Justin Hill, and you got Lamar Jackson's legs. If we can get anything out of that passing game, Lamar Jackson will have a chance to win MVP this upcoming season. I got him at number five. At number four, I'm going to go with Josh Allen. Um, Look, last year, we all know this brother improved dramatically, statistically, realistically, everything. He improved. The coaching you know, it was great. The way, the system that he's in with the coaching, Sean McDermott, the offensive coordinator, he's in a great spot. But one of the more key pickups last year, probably the biggest pickup last year by any team, was Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs was my non-quarterback MVP of last year. Because the, having a guy in Stephon Diggs that could be a safety net, a guy that's a great route runner, can get you those big gains off short passes, can obviously hurt you down the field vertically he does it all and it helps with josh allen's confidence so not only do you have year two of that wonderful connection last year you bring in a guy like emmanuel sanders who still can play you also got that guy gabriel davis who had a great rookie year last year who was very underrated nobody talks about him he's going to be back as well you still got cole beasley now if the brother want to be vaccinated or not or want to retire or not if he doesn't retire, that's another guy in the slot. They're going to put up numbers. But I don't have a number one or number two simply because the fans are back. I want to see how he plays with fans. There's some guys that play better without fans. Maybe if Ben Simmons played without fans, he'll be even better. You know, so I want to see how Josh Allen, you know, resorts and how his skill level, how, how does he pa pass last year's, you know, success. So I'm going to have him at number four. But they're still going to put up numbers because they have the offense, too. It's going to be fireworks over there in Buffalo. I have Josh Allen at number four. At number three, I know people I know people are going to turn their neck. But I'm here with the stats to back up my argument. At number three, Herbert. Oh, Herbert. Justin Herbert at number three. This, this is my dark horse of an MVP. Listen, you know what's crazy, y'all? I can argue. I love debating. You know, that's one of my favorite things to do. I couldn't make an argument that he probably should have been in the conversation of MVP last year. Oh, Lil, how could you say that? A rookie. Okay, cool. Let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. Let's take it back. In the history of the NFL, there have been 18 seasons in which a quarterback had 4,600 plus passing yards, 33 passing yards, I mean 33 passing touchdowns, and a completion percentage above 66%. Six of those 13 quarterbacks won the MVP in those seasons, and seven were in the one -ins. We all know Justin Herbert exceeded that stat. Mind you, he didn't play two games. He had a decimated wide receiving call, and he was called in against Patrick Mahomes and basically almost outperformed Patrick Mahomes, right, just to get the victory. Look at these other stats here. Herbert registered a grade of 77.4 under pressure in 2020, the highest quarterback 
according to Pro Football Focus. Herbert threw 13 touchdowns under pressure. Second, only the Russell Wilson. So when people come over here and say, oh, how can Justin Herbert get any better than last year? It's going to be a step back. If you look at those numbers, that should tell you all you need to know. You have to watch the game from the eye test and use your football knowledge. And if you do, you know this year when the coach say the offense is going to run through Herbert, Herbert is the system. When you have Mike Evans, or should I say Mike Williams, excuse me, who's going to play the X wide receiver. He's going to be the X wide receiver. We all know Joe Lombardi. That was Michael Thomas' role in New Orleans. So watch out for Mike Williams having a breakout year. Combined with the fact that you got one of the best route runners in the game in Keenan Allen. He's going to put up numbers. Justin Herbert will put up numbers and they will make the playoffs. He's going to be a dark horse for MVP. And that's why he's number three on my list. At number two, I'm going to go with Patrick Mahomes at number two. What can I say about this guy? Probably the most gifted, talented football player there is. You know, him and Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson does it with his legs. Patrick Mahomes does it with his arm. Can make every throw on the football field. Sidearm, backyard, frisbee, or just his IQ in general. And his leadership is getting better every year that I notice him. Tyreek Hill still a monster. Um, Travis Kelsey still a monster. It's going to be interesting. Interesting to see if the defenses. You know, teams look at the Buccaneers film and how they guarded the um, Chiefs in the Super Bowl. If they're going to try to replicate that. But look, they got him some offensive line help as well. And look, he's going to continue to put up numbers, bro. He puts up numbers every year. I don't see why this year is not going to be the same. They will be, they will have a chance to make it back to the Super Bowl next year. I'm going to go with Patrick Mahomes at number two. And number one, I know what y'all going to say, Leo. I saw this coming from a mile away. I didn't need binoculars. And God is my witness. I put this on everything I love. I try to rank this brother four or five because I said I didn't want to be biased here on the show. I was like, everybody going to be like, I knew it, Leo. I knew he was going to put him at number one. I tried. God is my witness. Hand on the Bible. I had him at number four, but I said to myself, Leo, what are you doing, bro? Just be yourself, bro. Whatever you see the game, you see the game. Tom Brady, number one. Look, like I said, my top five is based on MVP voting, right? And where I feel they're going to end up. When you talk about an MVP and who wins the MVP, your record probably is going to have to be no more losses than three losses, right? Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers, three losses last year, one MVP. Um, the Ravens, Lamar Jackson the year before, two losses, MVP. Patrick Mahomes, I believe they had two or three losses that year he won. It's not clicking in my head, MVP, right? Something around that range. Look, I don't think the Buccaneers lose more than three games this year. They have one of the easiest schedules in the league. Tom Brady, we all know he's going to be in Bruce Arians' system in year two. Any quarterback in Bruce Arians' system is going to put up numbers. Last year, Tom Brady put up 4,600 plus yards and a combination of 30 or uh, 40 and it's um, 40 touchdowns, 40 plus touchdowns. So last year, he put up numbers. This year is going to be no different. This year is going to be year two of that system. And they're going to come out swinging. You got Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, Scotty Miller. And you know who else is back that nobody talks about because people forgot? OJ Howard. He's going to be back. That's the starting tight end. So I don't see any scenario where Tom Brady do not outperform his performance of last year. He will outperform his performance of last year. They will probably only have three losses 
which means Tom Brady is going to have an excellent shot to win MVP. And I think he's going to win MVP. And that's why Tom Brady is ranked number one along with the leadership. Remember, no risk and no biscuit. But efficiency comes with that. So it's not going to be a whole lot of turnovers because Tom Brady brings that efficiency. He brings that leadership in that no risk it, no biscuit offense, which obviously is going to be stats added to Tom Brady's name. So to recap my list at number five, I got Lamar Jackson. At number four, I got Josh Allen. At number three, I got Justin Herbert. At number two, I got Patty Mahomes. And number one, bah, bah, I got the GOAT, Tom Brady. Bring it on. Isaiah, I'll throw it over to you. Yeah. I actually want that exact. So um, if Deshaun Watson doesn't play this season and Aaron Rodgers decides to not play for the Packers this season until he gets traded or whatever, how that situation goes, who would slide down from the other list to the top five? Yeah, so that's a great question. A couple names come to mind for me. Josh Allen is the first one that comes to mind. I agree with Lil when he said as good of a season as he had last year, I think that he does have a lot to prove this year, just in the sense that, number one, like it's just going to be really hard for him to repeat how good of a statistical season he had last year. And um, also, playing with fans for the first time, the Dolphins, Patriots, Jets defense all get better. So uh, I think it's going to be a big season for Josh Allen, but I don't think anyone could deny the impact he made on Buffalo last year. Uh, I had Lamar Jackson hovering right around uh, the top seven, top eight as well. And I... Like where Will's going with Justin Herbert, man, there there aren't many quarterbacks that I've seen over the last couple of years step in right away and make an impact. I mean, I remember, Will, you remember this, way back last year, we had a debate on um, if Tyrod Taylor should keep uh, the starting job for the Chargers or were the Chargers good enough to just let the kid take the reins. And I just remember watching this kid almost out Patrick Mahomes in that uh, week two game uh, against the Chiefs last year and saying, okay, this kid is special. And as time went on and on last year, it became clear to me that the reason why the Chargers were so bad was because of their head coach, Anthony Lynn. He had no idea what he was doing. He had no idea how to manage a clock. And I do think with Brandon Staley, a guy uh, that comes from Sean McVay's tree, uh, I think Justin Herbert could have a chance to be really special this season. Uh, Matthew Stafford, the other quarterback in the L.A. area, would be the other one that I would have hovering uh, right across that area as well. And, Lil, I wanted to ask you a question on um, Lamar Jackson. Um, we know that the Ravens' offense has, hasn't been the best um, offensive uh, passing team in the league. So with the new additions to the receiving court, where do you expect uh, Lamar Jackson's numbers to be this season? Do you feel like it's going to be middle of the pack in the NFL, like 15th, 16th ranked? Or do you feel like they could potentially be a top 10 uh, passing team in the league? I think they can creep into that top 10. Anywhere in that top 15 area, I'll say that the additions that they made, I think is a, a big improvement. I really, like I said, I really like Rashad Bateman. I really do. I think that he's a guy that can play slot vertical. So you think about the difference that makes. Think about the difference that Justin Jefferson made on that Vikings offense and how the passing numbers went up. I see that same scenario with Rashard Bateman. It's going to be hard. Like I said, they play calling, got to get better. But with the additions this year, I think they can hover around that top 15 range. Middle of the pack. I like both of you guys' lists, man. They're, they're like very interesting. I'm actually really excited after hearing these lists to watch this uh, football. Even the spring training, I'm just excited to see something, you know, like. Uh, I just want to see kind of some kind of football game. I said spring training, that's baseball. Uh, I just want to see some football, you know, like some training camps going. I just want to see some OTAs. I heard, um, um, I heard some in interesting news about the Jaguars potentially, not potentially, the locker room loving Trevor Lawrence. 
So that's interesting to hear I about as well. Things about him too. But so, um, Zach, I want to make a comment on your list, and it's a good comment actually, as far as Deshaun Watson goes. I know I had him ranked number thirteen, and I literally, specifically explained why I did, and in the comment section why I did because I'm not sure if he's going to play, so I didn't want a ranking. But to those people, if Deshaun Watson plays, I like where Zach have him at number three. I can argue number two because last year he actually had I didn't know he led the league in passing yards last year, and that's with no number one wide receiver. Are you kidding me? So imagine if Deshaun Watson had what Patrick Mahomes had. He's the best quarterback in the league, in my opinion. I mean, to put up those numbers with not a number one wide receiver, with a abysmal coaching, starting off 0-4, he got to be a top two quarterback in the league. So, yeah, I like where Zach had him. I didn't have the guts enough to rank him in the top five this year for the fact that I don't know if he's going to play. So I don't want my top five to be ruined. So that's why I didn't have him in there. So, yeah, that's my thoughts. Yeah, that situation is just whole. It's it's crazy. I feel like it's weird. Like, when was the last time you even heard about this? Heard this guy's name? Like, it's gonna be very weird when all of a sudden the Texans pull up to training camp and he's nowhere to be found. Uh, I mean, I just ran, made my list based on if I was starting a team, who would I want my quarterback to be? One to thirty-two right now. But with that being said, I made the list kind of with the expectations that Deshaun Watson isn't gonna play a snap this year. I mean, guys. In baseball, you guys have been hearing uh, everything that's been going down with Trevor Bauer. He just had uh, one uh, uh, claim against him, a sexual assault, and he uh, got suspended for the week. And I don't really expect him to come back anytime soon. My guy, Deshaun Watson, has 22 accusers on his ass. I can't see him playing football anytime soon. (laughs) I don't know what he was doing with all the massage therapists, bro. How you have 25, bro? At least (laughs) have one or two, bro. Like, that don't sit well with me. 25 different women? Like, come on, bro. You know, and I'm trying to say there's a way to perceive yourself as a starting quarterback, you know? Sometimes I think a lot of the comments about, oh, how you want your quarterback to be off the field could be taken a little bit out of hand. But at the same time, when you're a starting quarterback in the NFL, there's a certain way that you just have to carry yourself. There's a certain responsibility that you have to have, and there's a certain feeling you have to know that – when you're a starting quarterback on an NFL team, you have to realize like any move you make, good or bad, off the field, on the field, could have an impact on your team. And look, I don't think anyone's going to deny that this Texan situation wasn't great to begin with, dating back to Bill O'Brien and the DeAndre Hopkins trade. But like realistically, if Deshaun Watson doesn't play, I can see the Texans being 0-17. And if you do that without Deshaun Watson, like that whole situation is just terrible. And I really don't know when we're going to see Deshaun Watson play football again. I really don't. I had a question. Did the organization suspend him indefinitely because of no, the case? No, no, no. So, so no suspension from the league, no suspensions from the organization. It's been months. And you know, usually when a case like this happens, they usually suspend the player for amount of time as the investigation goes on. They don't usually let the player play or even like think he's going to be on playing terms until they like finish the whole case. So it's interesting to see how far the NFL is. Is Are they looking towards, like, yeah, he's getting suspended for sure, he's not playing, or is this only an outside investigation where we don't know what the repercussions are going to be besides his image being tarnished? Well, that's what happens, I guess, when you're as great as Deshaun Watson is. You know, sometimes there's a little leeway in that. Like, yo, we're not going to suspend him early because 
Who knows? We're going to wait for more information on the case. He's good enough as a football player. He helps our brand. He helps our product. So we're going to wait this out a little bit until we got all the information. So I think that's what the NFL is doing. The NFL shows that all the time, bro. If you're talented, if you're not a head case, they'll work with you until, you know, they can't no more. They'll tolerate you until they can't no more. But we have less than a minute. I have some final thoughts on Shakur Richardson. I think when we come back from a commercial break, we can knock that out the park to close out this show. We're in the huddle. Yes, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls from around the world, we are back here on Can You Dig Sports Radio. This is In The Huddle. And to close out this show with our final thoughts, I do want to pass over the rock to Isaiah, who just got some breaking news buzzing in right now. So this is why you tune into the show. We got the exclusives. We got the news. Isaiah, take us away. So according to BNO Newsroom on Twitter, the Japanese government declared a state of emergency in Tokyo due to coronavirus just two weeks before the Olympics. Wow. Zach, when you hear that, man, what comes to mind? Yeah, so I'm looking at uh, the story going on right now, and I, it's crazy because one thing about the Olympics is every country is being represented in multiple sports. And one of the things about COVID that I've found so fascinating is how every country and every place's uh, policies and process, they're totally different. And that is not going to change when it comes to COVID in the Olympics, because if this is a major problem, obviously the news just came out. What happens if half the countries there say, oh, we're good. Most of our uh, athletes are vaccinated. We're good and ready to go. And what if other countries don't feel comfortable? Uh, Vaccinations could be another thing that come into play in terms of if you're vaccinated or not. How big of an effect is that going to have on the season? And another thing, there have been some people protesting the Olympics. Apparently, uh, no one is allowed to wear any uh, BLM uh, gear to anything. Also, uh, the Shikari Richardson situation, which we're going to get into in a second. So I think as we get closer and closer, there could be some controversies coming up with the Olympics that I think going in, not a lot of us may have considered. Yeah, I mean, look, we thought, you know, I'll say this news right here. It's basically showing the America, or should I say the world, because it's not only in America, that we're not out of the woods yet. And I know that the vaccines got pushed out. They got rolled out. Some people taking it. Some people saying kick rock. But at the end of the day, as far as us as a people together, you know, as a country, as a as the world, it's, we're not out of the woods yet. And this is another situation right here because we all thought that everything was starting to get back. You know, I thought that the Olympics was a full go. Last year at this time, I was like, how the hell are they going to pull it off? But, you know, coming close to it, I thought they was going to be able to pull it off. But obviously it's not. And it falls right into the next topic that we have because, you know, we're going to talk about Shakira Richardson or Shakira Richardson not being able to run in the Olympics. But they might not be one. So it might not even be a a massive topic. But I still want to get into it. But before I do, Isaiah, you're the one that broke us the news. What are your thoughts on on it real quickly it's just a scary time because what if this report would have happened um once the olympics started and then the tokyo you know japan i mean japan then goes to the state of emergency in tokyo at when all the athletes from all around the world the best athletes all around the world are in tokyo performing for the countries you know that would have been a scarier thing because now we're like all right why wouldn't we wear this before um it's just a scary time because all these vaccinations don't even guarantee that you know, the COVID, you're immune completely from COVID. You know, you can still get the symptoms. You can still become um, very sick. But um, it still comes a time where we don't really know 100% on what's going on. 
and like you know we, we we don't have all the you know the data to say yeah we're fine just to get the vaccination you could just go out and you know um compete in the olympics because now tokyo is even going for a state of emergency and it's just a scary time um but hopefully i mean i don't know like what could they even can everything clear up in two weeks i doubt you could clear a state of emergency in two weeks so we just have to see what um precautions are going to be taken moving forward I and mean, you don't know what isn't an olympics even going to happen um but even besides that shikari richardson you know that's that's another like tragic topic of her getting overlooked for the for the relay race that's just disgusting i, I don't know who wants to start and, it off that's a disgusting topic and as we get into that i just want to say that one thing I like about my radio career and working with Zach along in the process and working on In The Huddle is that, I, you know, I've been there for everything, bro. I've been there when Kobe Bryant died. I, I had a show right after that the next day. I've been there when Nipsey Hussle died. I did two college shows. Uh, my last college shows was during the height of the pandemic, breaking out information, breaking out news, getting callers on the show. And now we got the exclusive breaking news as well. So that just shows you how even though we look at this Zach and we look at this Isaiah as something that we do for fun, I really think it's bigger than what people really believe. And when we talk to our grandkids and our children in the future, we want to say we was able to do this. You know, maybe at not at the highest of levels, but when things was going on in the world during the quarantine, we put our content, we put our episodes. So it shows you how the brotherhood of In The Huddle stays strong and will continue to evolve in the next couple of years. But um, moving on to the Shikori Richardson situation, I actually have a change of heart. And, um, you know, I'm just going to react off of my what I feel is right. You know, at the end of the day, as far as her being suspended for the entire Olympics, that's the one thing. But as far as the trouble that she got in, into, but as far as, you know, the marijuana, we all know marijuana does not harm anybody. And I said that before, and it sucks. But at the same time, I think that there has to be a level of accountability, you know, because at the end of the day, as much as I hate the rules and as much as anybody can hate the rules, the rules are the rules. And the rules say that marijuana is banned from the Olympics. So if that's the rules, you got to live with it. And I know athletes, you know, these days we can complain about athletes not being able to be human for a day. It comes with the territory. Look, I went to Catholic school for high school. Right. And we had to be different outside of school. We couldn't be like the public school kids. We couldn't get in fights in the streets, even if it had nothing to do with the school. We had to represent the school with our uniform and the way how we carried ourselves outside. So it came with that it came with that responsibility, being privileged enough to pay for a Catholic school, you know? So it's a certain way you have to carry yourself when you're an athlete. And I think that in this situation, you know, you know the rules and whatever you was going through at the time, it's gonna hurt because you know, you're not going to be able to compete for the finals, you know, in the Olympics. So at the end of the day, I really feel like as a community, as people, as African-Americans, we need to to help our people by not just feeling sorry for them, but explaining to them. These are how these are the ways how you get in trouble. You know, Isaiah, I know you always I know you probably heard this term before. Free my bro. Free my homie. But nobody's telling that homie when he's doing what he's doing. Don't get into that. Because you're going to end up here. It's always free, bro. Free, bro. But don't do it, bro. Don't do it, bro. So in this situation, when I had time to digest and move off of my personal emotion, she messed up when she did the marijuana. And that's just what it is. One thing I will say that uh, I keep on having a tough time. And, and I've been evaluating the situation for a while. 
And I agree, Well, when you say 100%, like, rules are rules, and no one is going to sit here and say marijuana is a drug that makes you a better track runner. It's harmless. It's the opposite of a PED. What I keep on having a very hard time understanding is that this uh, woman, Shakari Richardson, great athlete, one of the best runners in the world, so... She said she was having trouble with uh, the loss of her mom and going through personal things. I totally understand that. But where I keep coming back to is that why did she knowingly take marijuana when she knew the rules and she knew that this was going to happen? It's not like she didn't know the rules and it just surprised her. And as you said, you can disagree with the rules all you want, but that's kind of what I keep coming back to. Like, why did she do that when she knew... It was going to be a result of her getting suspended. And I know it's easy for me to say, but when you have a dream of being one of the best runners in the world and winning a gold medal, you're like, I'm not trying to criticize her. I'm, I'm just trying to think like she really said like, okay, I'm really going to take the marijuana over this right now. I have a hard time. I, I just keep coming back to that. You know, I think it's the mindset before you get in here, Isaiah, of, you know, we all had that mindset growing up where we were more worried about now and, and we're not really thinking about the long-term effects. I, You know, we're human. At the end of the day, she's human. I'm human. I've been through that before. We're like, I'm just going to focus on right now and what helps me deal with the situation right now and kind of like overlook what could be the ramifications of what I'm doing right now. And she's young. How old is she? 15, 16? Um, anybody got her age by, by any chance? She's young. You know, so yeah i want to side with her and i want to see her run because she's talented but at the same time these are the life lessons that you have to learn yeah she's 21 by the way oh 21 okay yeah so you know this is around the age where you start to mature this is the age you should mature you know i don't know about today's generation we all know but this is the age you should mature around this age so yeah she's learning she's gonna learn from this i mean i think you know again like she was um disqualified for the 100 meter 100 meter uh in the olympics so you know her her uh, suspension for the thirty days, I believe, or forty five. I forgot how many, how long it was, but it was right before the uh, relay race. And I don't agree that she wasn't picked up for that relay race team. I understand rules are rules, but she was still eligible to join that relay race team to showcase her skills for the Olympics. I just don't agree with their decision to overlook her because of her um suspension to say, yeah, you know, you broke the rules, so you're not gonna become the Olymp to Tokyo at all. You know, I thought the um the Olympics was about having the best athletes. Um, represent your, the country, not oh, we're gonna pick and choose who comes to represent us. Um, even just because their one doesn't break the rules and the other one does, you know. And like you said, it wasn't a PED, it wasn't a performance enhancing drug, you know, it was marijuana, which is legal, starting to become legalized. But, um, you know, and it's just like it doesn't really feel right that she was like, uh, she wasn't um, put onto that relay race team, like she was a fantastic runner. People said she's a great runner. She um, should represent the country. And I understand that the marijuana offense uh, is a bad, it looks bad on the image. And they say, oh, yeah, she smokes weed. Uh, she shouldn't be allowed to run. And it looks bad on our image. Let me ask you a question, Isaiah. And, I, and this is a question that I, I'm really curious to know your opinion. Do you think there's any politics involved when it comes to this? Because that's why I kind of feel like you're leaning towards. So I want to know if you feel that way. And because um, I'm not saying I don't agree with that. But I want to know your thoughts. Do you think there's some politics involved why she was dropped for the Olympics? 100% politics. I think in politics, marijuana is still looked upon as a bad thing to do. So, of course, I believe the politics is 100% within this. Because if she's eligible to run for the relay race and you overlook her just because whatever. Like the coach, I don't even know if anyone's even saying anything about her being overlooked 
for the relay race. They're just saying, yeah, she was overlooked because of she was disqualified for the 100 meter. Like, no, uh, clearly stated, she could have ran for the relay race even after her suspension. So her suspension would have been lifted right after they, um, right after, right before, excuse me, that the relay race would have taken place and she could have been selected for that team and participated in the Olympics. The fact that she was overlooked, I definitely believe politics are involved. And, and that's the thing, because I can sit here and agree that there is some level of politics involved. Trust me, I, I know I can see from a lens where that is true. But at the same time, if you're Shakuri Richardson, you don't want to put yourself in that predicament in the first place. And that's where I'm kind of getting that. You know, I touched on the politics before when we initially did our reactions. But in this one, I'm saying before the politics was even involved, you put yourself in that predicament, you know, by doing what you knew was against the rules. So I have to leave it at that. I have one quick thing, a question to both of you guys. If, um, you know, do we, and I hate to be this guy because I was the one that was opposed to it, people making this um, comparison to Michael Phelps and Shakari Richardson. So, you know, Michael Phelps had the picture of him smoking weed and doing stuff like that. And then, that, but I was after the Olympics, but then he had like a, a three month suspension, if I'm not mistaken, lost all his um, advertisements and then went to do the next Olympics. If, um, Shikari Richardson is unable to participate in these next Olympics, even though she faces suspension and goes on to the next one. Why was Michael Phelps able to just go after his suspension and go into the next Olympics as if nothing was, nothing ever happened? I think that just shows the problem that's at hand, my guy. And that's really what is unfortunate about this whole situation. Like I'll sit here and say, look, like as much as we don't like the rules, she broke the rules. So, we can't really argue with her uh, being suspended from the first for the first place, but like th now that she's not selected, I just think this is the first time in, this, in the situation where it's like okay, it could really be more uh, than just athletes breaking rules. Yeah, and um, if you're Shakari Richardson, this probably could be a blessing in disguise for you because look, when all those doors closed on myself, it just made me hungrier. So you know your talent, you know you're one of the best in the sport, you take this lesson, you learn from it, and that should give you that urge for the next time we get around this time. And that's what sucks about the Olympics is that it's a four-year event, and it's the be-all, end-all. So you kind of got to wait four years, and it sucks, you know, four years is four years, y'all. It is what it is. We was in a pandemic within a year from a regular society. So anything can happen in four years, but at the end of the day, you just have to let it drive you and get get the best out of you, you know, going forward. Agreed. Any last comments on this, boys? Uh, it's been a great show with you guys. Always good uh, chopping it up on In the Huddle with you guys. Yes, sir, man. I can't wait to be back here on the next episode, recapping game two of the NBA Finals and giving our little reaction, see what the public thought about our list, you know, our rankings, um, my top 32 quarterbacks. So, Zach, I'm looking forward to it. And shout out to you guys, man. It was a great show today. Always love uh, hanging with you guys, talking sports, and uh, yeah, always good. Uh, in the huddle, uh, can you dig sports? Right here today.